You are listening to Grab Them by the Pod, a member of the Ace Podcast Network. Welcome back to Grab Them by the Pod. Thanks again for listening. I am Kevin along with Jesse. At it again, presidential politics all day, every day. So, what do we got this week, Jess? Well, we're going to start with something that's a little sadder than normal, I guess, although by now it's pretty much old news. I think everybody listening right now knows that last week there was a shooting at a practice for the uh, congressional baseball game. They hold it every year. Uh, this one was the GOP practice. It's weird. It sounds weird saying luckily, but a Louisiana congressman and a majority whip Steve Scalise was there, and he was shot along with three other people. But the fact that he was there, that he's majority whip, there were protection there where there's Capitol Police there. So you know, this guy who shot him was a liberal nut job. And I think if you look at all the ideologies, they all kind of connect in a, in a big circle. So when you go too far to the right, too far to the left, they end up meeting up somewhere at you know crazy town. Uh, so it, it, again, it's weird to say that we were lucky that he was there since he was shot and was in a serious condition for a long time. But the fact that he was at the Capitol Police were there, uh, they're here. I've given a lot of crap in my day to the Capitol Police, especially when I worked on Capitol Hill. I saw them all the time and would make jokes. But I mean, they're bona fide heroes in this case, uh, and it could have been a lot worse. Well, in case anyone doesn't know. The Capitol Police are detailed to the highest ranking members in Congress, like the Speaker of the House, the Minority Leader, uh, in this case, the, the whips as well. But that's about as far down as it goes. Once you get past the whips, they're just regular people like you and I, as, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. They're, they're congressmen representing us, and they get no extra protection when they're on the streets. So as you said, it's kind of the best of a bad situation. But luckily, because uh, Representative Scalise is a majority whip, he had that police detail. And that literally saved his life as well as the lives of many others. I mean, there's a 10-year-old kid there uh, they ended up shoving into the dugout and trying to protect. So it could have been really worse. There were senators. I mean, remember, there's 535 members of Congress, although maybe that would be going up because Puerto Rico wants to become a state. That's a story for another time. Um, So for me, this has been talked about to death. So I don't think we necessarily have to talk about exactly what happened. I think everybody knows what happened. I really want to focus on uh, two things that come out of this. One is a civilized gun debate, and the other one is just how the partisan vitriol has just created this kind of environment. Uh, I'll start off with the guns. So I don't know about you, Kevin. Guns are not really part of my life in any way. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying I'm pro-gun or anti-gun. I, I just They don't affect my everyday life. I'd probably shoot myself. I'd drop it because I'm an idiot. Um, that said... I don't understand why people are so against um, additional steps for people who may be unhinged to get guns. I mean, this guy didn't have any felonies, but it was not his first run in with the law. Uh, anybody who kind of ran into this guy could tell something was a little off. He had a handgun and, and a rifle, uh, but I don't want to take guns from anybody. I'm not coming to take them out of their you know cold, dead hands, but if somebody – is unhinged. If somebody has some mental issues, whether you're pro-gun or anti-gun, shouldn't everybody want to come together and make it more difficult for these kind of people to get guns? Well, you would think, and and I, like you, Jesse, was not brought up around guns. I am not a gun aficionado. I, I could care less about guns. I don't care if I ever have one or use one. And I think, for me, I know that's because my father, as a veteran, having lived through the Vietnam War and survived that and, and know what it's like to see that kind of carnage, what guns are meant to do, which is kill. 
Okay, we can argue that it's for target practice or home defense, things like that. But the type of weapon that was used in this shooting most recently, as well as most of the other mass shootings we've seen on the uptick in the last 10 years, those are weapons of war. They're high caliber rifles. They're the kind that are used uh, in war. And that's why they are so effectively devastating when they're used on an unsuspecting civilian population. So why we can't have reasonable discourse on this, why our Congress can't come together and have a reasonable debate over something that is such a reasonable idea to protect the American populace, I don't understand. But I think it has to do with groups like the NRA that lobby their members and lobby Congress so hard that nothing gets done. Yeah, I mean, there really must be a big I – mean, I'm, I'm a former lobbyist, so I know exactly how this stuff gets done, uh, how the sausage is made, so to speak – but if you love guns, I have family members who like to go shooting, who have handguns for protection. You know, that's that's great. You know, they're all, you know, they're my family, so they're relatively normal. But you know, they're they're normal enough to to have guns. But you know, I don't understand why you need a gun this instant. If if me saying, you know, I have to wait a week, I have to wait two weeks to buy a new gun. Well, that, that's cool. You know, I, I can wait. Um, I've. I've waited, you know, I want to get a car before and had to get a new, wait for the new color to come in and wait some time. You know, you wait for what's uh, what's best for the entire uh, entire civilization, I would say, and maybe be pushing it a little too hard. But, I, I mean, I think we should just come together and say, you know what, you're going to get your gun. Let's just make sure these people who shouldn't have them. Like, this guy had them legally. It wasn't like he bought them off the street. Um, I, I don't know. This, this is something I, I know it's going to go around in circles and circles if we have any listeners who are very much pro-gun. It, it's just, um, I think, a, an argument that I don't see ending anytime soon. That's really unfortunate. Well, it shouldn't be something that is so partisan is the problem because it is something that would be useful to the American public to, to protect their safety, which is one of the jobs of our Congress and all of our leaders is to protect the safety of the American public. And from 1994 to 2004, there was an assault weapons ban, but it had an expiration date. And the Congress at the time in 2004 allowed it to expire. And since then, you know, we could cite all kinds of statistics about the upswing in the number of mass killings that directly coincide with the lifting of that ban on assault rifles. And, you know, for those that stand behind the Second Amendment and say that the government can't touch our guns, it's right there in the writing in black and white in our Constitution. Well, the Second Amendment says directly a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Nowhere in that does it say what kind and how many. So our Congress, as well as our state legislatures, are well within their right to limit the type of weapons, the type of ammunition that can be legally owned and purchased by people. You know, I kind of relate it back to when I think of people who work at newspapers or media outlets – uh, when they post something because it's you know it's the truth, it's the facts, it's the news, even though it may not necessarily uh, be the best thing to do, just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean you should do something. Just because you you know legally can have the guns doesn't mean you necessarily have to. And, you know what we're saying here is nothing new. We're not uh, we're not inventing the wheel here. We're just uh, spinning it round and round as it's been going for a long, long time. But these are the conversations I think that you have to have, and you have to be able to have it. 
in a civilized manner. Now, if if you disagree with us, that's fine. We we can have that argument or, or discussion, I guess is a better way to put it. Um, but you shouldn't be sitting there screaming at people uh, on one side saying, you know, they're here to take all of our guns, and on the other side call them, you know, names or whatever because they want these guns. I think there's a, a middle ground. You can have this discussion that's rational and good for all sides. Right. You can't keep villainizing the other side. And, and that actually leads right into the other thing I want to talk about. I mean, what what created this this environment where this guy wants to go and start shooting people up to disagree with him is just the anger that's been here. I mean, since the election, yeah, there's been anger during the Obama administration. There was anger during um, W. Bush's administration, but nothing like what we're seeing right now. Both sides are definitely guilty of it. Yeah, both sides just clashing, ba- uh, beating heads. Uh, but it doesn't help when our president is the one stoking the flame, stoking the fire. He should be the one trying to calm everybody down. He, he, love Obama, hate Obama. Love Bush, hate Bush. They these guys weren't telling their supporters to keep, you know, rabble rousing and keep going out there and 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 fighting the good fight. I guess uh, in the in the terms and the way that Trump is. And it's just leading one side to get angry, which then in turn leads the other side to get angry, which then leads the other side to get angrier, and so on and so on and so on. And it's just a mess. The lack of civility in our politics these days is frightening because it leads to these types of events. And as you said, when you have the president, right, the leader of the free world up there stoking the fire and rabble rousing, getting people inflamed and enraged to the point where those who are not mentally stable might act on their feelings is dangerous to this country. And at the same time, you know, it's not just individuals. We can look at, again, not to bash the NRA, you know, I believe people have the freedom to express their opinions and groups to form. But when do we hold the NRA accountable for what they do to stoke the fire? You know, they do it as well with their membership. They're coming to take your guns. Well, that's actually not what any reasonable person in this argument has to say. It's about reasonable gun control. I don't want to take your hunting rifle if that's your source of food. I don't want to take your revolver if that's your source of protection. I want to take away guns from the wrong people. And I, I do want to say there, there are a lot of people who are members of the NRA who are normal. You know, I don't want to say normal. That makes it sound like I'm saying the other people are abnormal. But you know, who are, are rational, who are more moderate, who just like like guns. And that's cool. But it's it's like with everything we talk about, it's the extremes of anything, whether it's political parties, whether it's the NRA, whether it's uh, anything out there. The extremes make things worse. Uh, and going back to Trump, it, it's not necessarily just. Like parties, not even just Americans who are dealing with this. It's when you have a president, and I, I know we're, we're beating down on the president really early. It's just how it goes on this podcast sometimes. The president even gives it to people from other countries. Today, he met with a Panamanian president, and the first thing out of his mouth was, you know, I think we did a pretty good job with that canal, didn't we? And first of all, you know, that was built like over 100 years ago. What the hell is he bringing that up for? And the president goes, yeah, 100 years ago, right back to him. But it's like the fact that he has to just – push and push and push people from other countries to show how good we are and how much better we are than them, it, it, it's ridiculous. It, it, it just trickles down into the every everyday Joes like you and me, and uh, eventually, for some people who may not be in the best state of mind, uh, leads to some negative results. And we see it more and more, which is why something needs to be done. At what point do we stand up and say that this enough is enough? Right? This is where it's our job as the voting public to hold our representation accountable. 
as Popeye said, I stands all I can stands and I can't stands no more. And I wish we could just come together, political party aside, and just – I almost want to sing Kumbaya. You know, I, I remember when the – as a young child seeing the Berlin Wall um, toppling down and seeing American kids holding hands with Russian kids or Soviet kids and singing songs. And it seems so corny, but can't we do that on a, on a much lesser degree and just realize you know, we're, we're different? But that's, that's cool. That's what makes America pretty awesome. Hey, even more recently, right? September 11th, 2001, where all members of Congress came together and and sang God bless America on the Capitol steps because they saw this terrorism as a threat to America. Well, guess what? You know, this kind of gun violence is a domestic terroristic threat to America. Mm -hmm. Why can't we see the forest through the trees? All right. Away from the uh, abnormal sad story and back to the fun sad stories we usually talk about every week. Uh, last week, uh, the Washington Post reported that Bob Mueller is interviewing senior intelligence officials as part of a widening probe uh, that now includes the examination of whether Trump attempted to extract justice. Remember, he kept going on and on. He wanted Comey to say, I'm not under investigation. And Comey said, no, you weren't under investigation. Of course, things change once uh, someone leaves the head of the FBI. And uh, surprise, surprise, more is going on. Uh, and this, it's funny, the story actually cited five different people uh, who briefed who were briefed on the intelligence requests and said that the uh, director of national intelligence Dan Coats and NSA director Mike Rogers and uh, former deputy of Rogers um, all agreed to be interviewed by Mueller uh, and other the Wall Street Journal saying you know we heard the same thing NBC News saying the same thing so this might be big big trouble for Trump we've been seeing that week in and week out um, but it may be it may be I think that what we tweeted out was it's all happening and uh, it's happening it, it's happening and and it may be happening. Well, certainly justice needs to prevail here. So if there is something that needs to be investigated that the president is involved in, then it needs to take place. Now, the president is saying that in, in tweets, of course, because that's his preferred <laughs> uh, method of informing the public, is saying that he's under investigation. Now his own personal lawyer is out there claiming that he's not under investigation. So who knows? Bob Mueller is probably the only person that actually does know, and he's holding it close to the vest. So I don't know if we'll actually find out one way or another, but certainly it seems that some investigating need be done. And this is really just the ridiculousness of this administration. We've seen it happen with Sean Spicer time and time again, uh, that they say one thing and then the president totally contradicts them. And these are the people that shouldn't be in the know. So Trump says he's being investigated. His lawyer says he is in. The lawyer then says he was just referring to the story, not that he was actually being investigated, uh, which that's that's not what the president said. Um, the president really, has been very clear. Yes, you know, he's been clear. His tweets speak for themselves. We say that all the time. It's what Sean Spicer loves to to kick out there. And these guys have to be on the same page. You ha Why would you want to work for an administration where you're made to look like a fool? And it, it's, I mean, it maybe partially due to their own, you know, their own fault. But for the most part, when you're going out there and you're doing your job and counting the party line, saying what you should be saying, and then your boss is totally undermining you, it doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. It's not good for your career. It's not good for the country. It's not good for the presidency. You know, imagine that, though, five months in to his uh, his time in office and being Sean Spicer or being any one of these other advisors and thinking, man, I got to go talk to this guy again. I got to go ask him what he thinks about <laughs> this and what kind of answer you're going to get. 
I wouldn't want to be in that position either. So I can only imagine what what Spicy and the rest of them are thinking. Speaking of Spicy, an article came out late this afternoon or this evening saying that he might be getting a promotion kicked up a little bit and just running all the communications in the White House. He'd be on par with the deputy uh, chief of staff. And then he reports are saying he might be actually interviewing for his replacement to do the – the daily briefings, which would make me sad if Spicy went away. One of the, especially because one of the names that was thrown out there was Laura Ingram, and she's not necessarily somebody I want to see uh, doing those daily briefings. But was it Mark Twain that said the uh, reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated? That's yes. What might be happening with uh, with Spicy if he's if he's moving up in the world? Well, and the roller coaster ride of an administration continues because one day he's getting fired, the next day he's getting promoted. Who knows what to believe? Certainly not I. <laughs> Oh, boy. So what's next? How about healthcare reform? And that's one of the things we've been saying we should be talking about and we're not talking about because of everything we just talked about uh, concerning Trump and Russia and the investigations and all that fun and all that jazz. Um, we mentioned this last week. Uh, this is something that's going to be a big, big deal. It's going to be swept under the rug if we're not careful. Um, nobody knows what's going on with this health care legislation. Uh, there's a small group of senators who came together and wrote it. Uh, apparently, Sean Spicer said today that he doesn't know if the president has seen it because, you know, why would he ask the president if he's seen, you know, one of the signature pieces of legislation to come out of his administration? Or in Hatch, who's the chair of my old stomping grounds, the Senate Finance Committee seems clueless with what's going on, and they want to have a vote on this by July 4th. No hearings, no nothing. I mean, if, if you contrast that with what happened with Obamacare, it's ridiculous and it's night and day. The people deserve – we're going to get a score from the CBO, but the people deserve to have a hearing and to talk about this in an open forum. Yeah, July 4th would seem a little bit hasty to me, and it's not that we're we, – we don't even know what this is going to look like. All right? And I think that's starting to frustrate people. And according to a report by CNBC's Stephanie Dew – A bipartisan group of governors has actually now written to Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer calling on senators to engage them, the governors, in the reform debate as they feel the current version fails in that. They believe that improvements such as controlling costs and stabilizing the market will positively impact the coverage and care of millions of Americans. And this is a bipartisan group of governors. And it includes uh, Republicans John Kasich of Ohio, Charlie Baker of Massachusetts, and Brian Sandoval of Nevada, as well as Democrats Steve Bullock of Montana, John Bell Edwards of Louisiana, and John Hickenlooper of Colorado. So there's bipartisanship going on at the state level amongst governors. Senate needs to get on board here, too, and come up with a good bill if they're going to make changes to our health care. The problem is Mitch McConnell is a doofus, but he's a doofus who can get stuff done. You just look at him and, and you're like, oh, God, this guy's running the Senate. But uh, he's a little more put together than, than Paul Ryan and the folks in the House side. So if he wants to get this done, you get, so you got to really focus on people like Susan Collins from Maine, um, who's a little more, I guess you would say, liberal on the, on the Republican side. Uh, because just think, if this bill is half as bad as the uh, House version – or, or twice better, I don't know which way you want to put it, that's still like 12 million people who are losing health care. This bill has to be so significantly better that I, I think it's pretty much impossible uh, for, for me to get behind it. These people should not be – I mean even today the president is out tweeting that Obamacare is dead. Um, they have to get over it. The, the, Republican, the Democrats are just obstructionists. Um, I don't think they're obstructionists. I think they just want to make sure the best legislation gets through. We've said this time and time again on this podcast. 
Obamacare is not without its flaws, without its faults, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Fix what needs to be fixed. If you scrap it and put something that's far inferior there, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be pissed and are going to rightly so be pissed because they're not going to have health care. Well, I completely agree with you, Jesse, right? The Affordable Care Act is flawed, right? There were things that were rushed through and that were left out in order to get the bill passed. But let's be honest here with what this really is. The American Health Care Act has never really been about fixing the health care system. It's about getting rid of the name Obama. It's about deleting mm-hmm. the progress that he made from the history books. That's all it is. Because if it wasn't about that, they would be interested in actually fixing the flaws of what we already have. They're being petty is what they're being, Kevin. Don't be petty. Uh, you know, Don't be petty, people. And I, I think it's interesting. I want to say this, point this out, that people would be listening to us saying, you know, these, these New England liberals – just want to, everything against Trump. You know, I was very critical of a lot of things President Obama did. You can attest to this, Kevin. I was oh, very certainly. critical of Obamacare during the whole thing. So it's it's not like I'm just being partisan and picking the side that you think I am. I, I'm critical to both sides. I mean, sometimes I can be a little bit of a devil's advocate, uh, although not as much as another story we'll be talking about a little later. Uh, but I want people to know that you know it, it's not just I'm sticking picking a side, sticking with it. I really feel strongly about what I'm saying, and if if Trump does something good, like you know, his his response to the shootings for the most part was was measured. It was good. He didn't do anything crazy. That was good. Um, but I'm gonna hit him when he needs to be hit. And uh, these not physically, by the way. Sorry, I'm not not stoking violence. We do not um, advocate no violence. I'm going to criticize him when he deserves to be criticized. And this his health care reform. I mean, he needs to be criticized for this. It is not good. I don't know. And uh, the House and the Senate GOP knows they're in trouble, knows there are some issues afoot because they're actually considering canceling the August recess to salvage their agenda. Um, as we mentioned before, they want to get this vote happening by July 4th. Um, but if that doesn't happen, they're going to stick around and get stuff done because they got to get health care reform passed. They got to start working on, on tax reform. I haven't seen a bill outside of that one page of bullet points. They have to pass the, um, the budget. They have to do, uh, appropriations and, and that stuff has to get done by a certain point. Um, I think there's only about 45 days left in the legislative year or, or legislative days for them to work left in the fiscal year. So if this stuff doesn't get done by then, it's a big trouble, a big problem. But the the other point is, if people don't go home, they don't talk to constituents. They don't see the constituents are angry, and then they don't change their vote to go with their angry constituents. So uh, there is some politics behind holding them here if, if the vote hasn't happened yet. Well, I'm sure that some would welcome this, given that the recent town halls, which have drawn so many angry constituents, you know, especially in light of the Scalise shooting, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of the members of Congress would be looking forward to not have to go home and deal mm-hmm. with the wrath of, of the people who are being affected by the laws that they pass or fail to pass. Yeah, and, and I, I think I, I want to say that it would actually come back and bite them in the butt, but I don't think it will. Um, we know how often these members get reelected. So if you just keep your head down and, and don't don't make a big fuss, uh, maybe they'll be maybe they think they'll be safe. But if the, anybody, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you owe it to your constituents to come back and, and face them and talk to them and give them answers and answer their questions and tell them why you're doing something and, and why you're not doing something. Uh, otherwise, you shouldn't be in that position. I mean, you work for the people, for the people, by the people, all that fun jazz. 
right? It's their first and foremost responsibility to represent. It's in their title for for crying out loud, representative. <laughs> And that's, that's why we ask that everybody out there, no matter what state you're in or what district you're in, don't be apathetic. Get out there and vote. When you see how many people don't vote in our country and in other countries too, it just it blows my mind. It's I, I know people have some issues, whether it's due to getting time off to go vote, and that's not who I'm talking to. I'm talking to people who just say, you know, I'm not going to make a difference. Why bother go voting? Well, you do make a difference. Um, it could have been a difference in the last election. It could be a difference in this upcoming election, both this year and in the congressional ones in 2018. Um, you can make a difference. It's it, it's true, yeah, and I, I want you to go do it. I get very choked up when people don't go and vote. And my brother, who's not a big voter, made sure to get out there last year. And I'm going to make sure he keeps doing it every single year. Well, you know, as Benjamin Franklin said, coming out of the Constitutional Convention back in 1787, uh, when asked what they had just done, he said, you know, we've given you a republic if you can keep it. And, and by that, he meant if you participate in your democracy, it will continue to sustain. But if you do not vote, if you do not stay informed, you give way to the small group that does, that overpowers you. And before you know it, your democracy is destroyed. So is that what we really want? It's not what we want, but I, I fear every day that's what we might end up with. So let's work not to do this. Uh, and if the GOP does stick around uh, through October or through August, excuse me, uh, maybe they're going to stick around to get Loretta Lynch. Uh, Senate Republicans are freaking out over uh, James Comey's testimony about Loretta Lynch. Uh, she had mentioned uh, when it came to Hillary Clinton's email investigation that referred to as a matter, not an investigation. And we were critical of her last week. We, we said you know that was probably not the best way to handle things. It was a little shady, didn't sound good. But they're going to use it as an excuse to dismiss what's going on with Trump and focus on Loretta Lynch. And uh, whether you think that was wrong or not, I, I would say that it's at this point it's it's not it's not that important anymore. We have other pressing issues handling right uh, to handle right now. So going back and just looking for a scapegoat to yell out instead of. Uh, the problems we have at hand, including the president and his administration, just seems like a, a dangerous waste of time. You know, it is, if true, a reason to be upset, uh, and perhaps more should have been made of it at the time. However, what can we really do about it now? And, and if, if Loretta Lynch, if investigations were made into this and something unlawfully was done there, then she should be held accountable for her actions. You know, they're going to bring her in front of uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee, and they're going to wrap her wrap her uh, knuckles, you know, as maybe they should. But then they're going to keep saying, you met with Bill Clinton, Clinton, Hillary Clinton, 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 and keep putting the focus on her just like the president does right now when, you know, you can love Hillary or hate Hillary. Who cares about Hillary anymore? She lost the election. She's off doing her own thing now. It's not important anymore. Um eh. It's she. It just it boggles the mind sometimes um, where some of these people want to go in their investigation and their questioning uh, just because it's partisan. Well, so. did you catch any of uh, the what's been in the news this week about Loretta Lynch? The uh, who was it that says I'm drawing a blank here now? But the the whole Lynch mob. I don't know. I'm not even heard what was what happened. Well, it it has to do with uh, somebody on the right made some comment of you know playing off her last name. Lynch mob as being like out to get her. And so no. some folks have been saying, oh, that's, you know, distasteful and you know, certainly historical reference to African-Americans lynching and, and so on and so forth. 
Um, and you know what? It's, it's not just distasteful. It's too easy. If you're going to be a racist idiot, at least put a little more effort into it. I mean, her last name's Lynch. Haha, she's black. I get it. I don't know. It's it's it just shows that they're not necessarily the most bright people. It, it, sometimes, man, when I go onto the Yahoo um, comment sections to articles like that, I just lose faith in humanity. I just see some of these people out there. I'm like, man, are we living in the same reality? Are we living in the same country, uh, the same world? But you know, everybody's a tough guy when they're behind their computer. I suppose it's easy to do that way. Yeah, and then the ones who are who are that way uh, with their face, usually just a little little nutty, a little crazy. So, um, speaking of a little crazy... Uh, hey, Jason Chaffetz. <laughs> Jason Chaffetz, um, who came out this week and said the Trump administration is almost worse than Obama. So, you know, if people don't remember who Jason Chaffetz is. He's not just going to go quietly into the night, is he? No, no, no. So he's a former House Oversight Committee, but he quit because, you know, he just wants to resign uh, at the end of the month. He's going to be out of there. He'll probably take a job at Fox News, make make lots of money, not uphold his bargain to the people who voted to him, uh, voted for him. Uh, so he's disappointed in how the federal agencies uh, are being represented under Trump and that they haven't been more forthcoming with uh, for congressional oversight requests. You know, when they go, hey, can we have these documents that may be a little shady? They're not sending them over. No surprise there. And one of the things he said was the reality is, sadly, I don't see much difference between the Trump administration and the Obama administration. I thought the floodgates would open up. Uh, I find it to be worse than what I saw with Loretta Lynch in terms of releasing documents and making things available. Now, remember – this would be uh, interesting if a normal person did this. This is Jason Chaffetz, a uh, very partisan individual. So if you adjust these comments for partisanship, I mean, it's a scathing review of the Trump administration. It really is. Adjust for partisanship. I like that terminology, Jess. Yeah. It's kind of like when you look at older movies and you have to you know, adjust for inflation. Um, Chaffetz... I don't get this dude, man. He, you know, he's the guy who would be going after Hillary right now with with such gusto and happiness if she was president. Um, I guess he didn't get what he was looking for and said, "Screw it, I'm gonna get out of here and go make Boku bucks uh, in the private sector." I, there should be some kind of I don't, for these guys. There should be some kind of penalty if you don't if you don't. Uh, you know, sit there for your entire term because it's not like he's leaving for health reasons or to take a job in administration. He's just saying, you know what? I, I kind of like what uh, Sarah Palin did a little a couple years ago. You elected, you elected me, and I'm out. Peace. It's 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 not good, and I I really don't uh, respect people who do that kind of stuff. No, neither do I. It's cashing in the chips when when times get rough or things aren't going your way, and, and to cut and run like that, it's you know. I, I can't get behind it. And, you know, I will say that about a Democrat, too. Okay, Lyndon Johnson, 1968, decides not to run for reelection in the middle of the Vietnam War, which he had escalated. You know, both sides have done it, and, and I don't appreciate it either way. Well, there was a, a Democratic congressman from uh, from Maryland. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he didn't win re-election. And rather than just you know coming to work for the next month or two, just said screw it and didn't show up again for the next two months. And then wanted a job at the law firm that I was look, working at. We're like screw that. We're not going to you know, get in bad press. Get the hell out of here. So yeah, it doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. So, did you by any chance watch the uh, Alex Jones interview with Megyn Kelly last night? Did you get a chance? I did not have a chance. And you know, it wasn't aired on the local NBC affiliate here in the Hartford, Connecticut area, and and rightfully so. Yeah, and yeah, you really didn't miss too much. So, 
just to give people some background, if you don't know who Alex Jones is, uh, he's you know, the head of Infowars. He's a scumbag of the highest order. He thinks Sandy Hook was staged to take away guns. The environment, the government was involved in Oklahoma City in 9/11. He promoted PizzaGate, and he thinks lizard people are, are a thing. I'm, I'm not joking about that. Uh, but the fact that you know, we're from Connecticut uh, makes his Sandy Hook comments you know, all the more disgusting to us because I, I know people. I don't know anybody who was who was there, but uh, one of the teachers who was killed was like a year below me at the same college I went to, and we have mutual friends. I have friends in Newtown. So I mean, these things hit home, and when this a guy can say something – I mean I, the, in, during the interview, they had some of the fathers and parents of the kids who were killed. It just makes me angry, very angry. And I, you know, I agree. I also, being from Connecticut, it's a small state, right? So we have connections to Newtown. We know people who are from the town. We've been there, um, and certainly it, it was devastating to that small, quiet, bucolic town in Connecticut. So to have him come out and, and say these things, which are completely baseless, you know, to propagate conspiracy theories, to, to once again stoke the flames and get people going. Uh, that is out of order. Um, but what's even more well, – go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to point out that this – we've just sat here for the last couple of minutes saying what a scumbag this guy is. And uh, President Trump or then candidate Trump praised Jones and his reputation and gave him a temporary White House press pass uh, to, or at least to Infowars when, when they came into the office. This is insanity. I mean this is – this is basically giving like Weekly World News a spot to go ask, you know, with with Bat Boy on the cover of your magazine, uh, a spot to go talk to the president. It, it's ridiculous. Yeah, back in 2015, when it was candidate Donald Trump in the early days of his candidacy, he went on Jones's show, had called his reputation amazing, and told him he would not let him down. And of course, Jones said, "Oh yes, well my listeners love you. They overwhelmingly support you for president. So there you go." <laughs> and so I we've talked a lot about Jones himself to the interview. I, I watched the interview on YouTube, or at least 17 minutes of it. I think that was all of it. Uh, he plays a lot of the woe is me. Uh, the media is manipulating my words. That's why he recorded her uh, without Megyn Kelly knowing so he could release anything if, if they edit it to make him look like an idiot, although they don't need to edit him. Uh, to get that. Uh, but he likes playing devil's advocate. Uh, at least that's what he says. Uh, and you know that that excuse is you know the very best option for him. Uh, at the worst, he's just a guy who cares more about getting ratings and people clicking on his site than he cares about the safety of others and the tr- and the truth. So he's playing devil's advocate, and you know, kind of like how the president likes to end his tweets with question marks because as long as you do that, you're just throwing it out there and you're letting other yeah, people yeah. decide for themselves. And as I was watching this interview, I was thinking to myself, you know, when Hillary was talking about a basket of deplorables, everybody got so mad. I think she's talking about the kind of people who support Alex Jones. And no sooner did I think that and write it down that a guy who works for Inter- Inter- uh, Infowars came out and said, you know, who do we represent? The deplorables. Trying, you know, he's trying to say, you know, the people that would call the deplorables. No, if you support Alex Jones and his line, I mean, the guys who come up to to D.C. and start shooting people at a pizza restaurant because they think, uh, you know, there's some sex child sex scandal going on or some child sex ring, that's dangerous and that's ridiculous. So. I thought Megyn Kelly 
was tough on him and pushed him, but she could have been a hell of a lot tougher on him. Um, I, I think her demeanor could have been a lot, a lot more angry. Uh, I think we've seen that of other people who have given similar kinds of interviews. So all of this happens, we've argued, do you think she should have interviewed him? Is, is, is it legitimate? Some of the people are arguing that she shouldn't have given him a platform. Um, or is is it relevant that, yeah, he's crazy, but he's out there and he has millions of people who listen to him? What's your thoughts on that? Well, generally – I don't believe in censorship or selective history. I think that we should report on all sides uh, and, and let people determine after taking in the information from all different sides to uh, make their best determination. Uh, however, you know, if you're going to do it, you've got to be tough on them. You've got to call them out and hold them accountable and, and make them be responsible for their words and their actions. And, you know, I, I'm going to have to watch this at some point for myself. I want to see, you know, I take your word for it here that she was somewhat tough on him. But, you know, I'm sure she could have been more so. And that's what has to be done for people who don't use fact, who spread these, you know, half-truths and, and misgivings. You, you want to make sure that they're held accountable. And Megyn Kelly got crap for her Putin interview where Putin walked all over her. Now she's getting a lot of crap for this. So it's going to be interesting to see where she goes next and how are these effects – uh, the show going forward. I mean, this, the rollout has really been disastrous, at least from a uh, media perspective. Uh, and, and I think I read that the interview, maybe it's the fact that a lot of affiliates didn't show it, but the interview was beaten by America's Funniest Home Videos. So it's not exactly getting the ratings uh, that NBC had hoped for when they signed her. Well, and I think that's exactly speaks to my point, that you don't censor, but let people you know, self-censor. I, I'm not going to give this guy the time of day. But it should be done. The interview should be conducted. All right, before we move on, we want to talk about another member of the Ace Podcast Network. Do you love pizza? Do you love brothers? Then you'll love the Pizza Bros Podcast. The Pizza Bros Podcast is a weekly show where two brothers discuss all things pizza. Pizza snacks. Pizza fashion. Pizza tech. Pizza history. And don't forget the epic Saucy 16. We review pizza from local restaurants in the Pacific Northwest. And let you know if it's worth your time and money. Each episode is only about 13 to 30 minutes. So it won't take up most of your day. Served up hot and fresh every Wednesday. The Pizza Bros Podcast. Wherever podcasts are sold. We don't sell our podcast. As we get to the end of this show, I want to talk briefly about John Ossoff. We talked about him several episodes ago when they had the initial primaries running for a seat in Georgia. Tomorrow's well, the big to day. Tomorrow is the big day. Finally, the amount of time and money and press and just I, I, people stopping by. John Lewis, I know, was doing a vi uh, video today with John Ossoff. It's insane. It's through the roof. He's going to go against Republican Karen – I never look into this. Is Karen Handel or Handel? Handel. <laughs> Handel. Uh, she's a, Georgia's uh, former secretary of state. Uh, it's going to be really interesting what happens in this one. I'm, I guess polling over the last couple of weeks have suggested that Ossoff uh, has a narrow lead, but it's shrinking, and you know it's within the margin of error, and who knows what, what to believe. It's been close but no cigar for, for a lot of the Democrats running in these primaries over the last couple of weeks and couple of months. But this one is the one by far they have the best shot of winning. Go listen to one of our older episodes. We talked about the history of Georgia 6. Uh, it's going to really be interesting to see what happens. And I would recommend going to 538.com. Tomorrow they're probably going to have a all-night running commentary on exactly what's happening. And I think it could be a lot of fun. Yeah, shout out to our boy Harry Enton over there at 538. Whiz kid Harry Enton. Yeah, according to Politico, Ossoff uh, is anywhere from dead even to having a seven-point lead. 
uh, in this race. But as we learned in November, you know, pre-election polling doesn't always <laughs> hold up. So it's going to have to be what we find out tomorrow evening. Uh, but, you know, not to put it past politics here, just today, CNN was reporting that there was a pro-Trump group called the Great America Alliance that's been running a radio ad around the Atlanta area using the voice of Barack Obama out of context, speaking to make the argument that Democrats take black voters for granted. Yeah, because I'm sure that's something that Barack Obama would really say in, in that context, right? Right. So um, some dirty pool at play here. Well, they're also, I think, using the uh, shooting as as a premise for why you should vote for Republicans. I mean, the president just tweeted a few minutes ago, big day tomorrow in Georgia and South Carolina. Obamacare is dead. Dems want to raise taxes. They can only obstruct. No ideas. Vote R. Well, I don't know. Yeah, yes, John Ossoff wants to raise taxes and take away your health care. He's evil, evil, evil. Or so they would have you think. Well, they keep know. tying him into, you know, I think Handel's campaign said that he's better suited to represent, you know, San Francisco 3,000 miles away because, you know, he's in Pelosi's pocket and took money from her pack and what have you. But, yeah, it's – Handel has nothing to do with Trump though at all, right? Right. <laughs> all right. What do you got for Kevin's Corner tonight? Well, Jesse, it's very easy to succumb to all the negativity that surrounds us on a daily basis, and we talked about plenty of it tonight. The world seems to be full of bad news, which can cause even the most optimistic people to lose hope for our future. And I'll admit that I find myself in that category more times than I'd like to admit. However, last Friday, I was reminded that there's reason to believe in the future of this great nation. As we've talked before, I'm a high school social studies teacher, and as I watched the most recent group of my students graduate Friday night, I had my faith in humanity restored. Among my students graduating, an immigrant valedictorian, an African-American salutatorian, and a Muslim National Honor Society member. Although they represent some of the most marginalized groups under the current presidency, these students, among other student leaders like them in their class, hold nothing but promise and the potential to enrich our beautifully diverse nation and bring us to a renewed prosperity. Our future really is in good hands, and I trust that they'll make America great. And you know, the high school graduates of today are potential listeners of our podcast tomorrow, so keep keep doing what you guys are doing, and keep listening to us, hopefully. <laughs> All right? Uh, and everybody else uh, who is listening to us right now, make sure to go to our website at www com. You'll find all the links to all of our podcasts and social media sites and all that fun stuff there. And uh, Kevin, as always, it's been a pleasure, and uh, we'll hopefully see you next week. Later. Later.